0: Today's guest, Sylvia Vasquez Lovato, is the first openly gay woman to climb the highest peaks on all seven continents, and if that were not cool enough, it was just announced in The Hollywood Reporter that a movie based on her life is being made. Expanding world in association with The Explorers Club, our proud sponsors of this episode of Life's Tough, Explorers Are Tougher, and the Global Exploration Summit a pioneering endeavor bringing together the world's leading explorers, sharing cutting-edge technology and innovations to propel us toward the next frontier in the future of exploration and to make a difference in the future of humanity. Visit GlexSummit.com to learn more about the Global Exploration Summit and the impactful men and women who are the heart and soul of scientific innovation and exploration. This is Life's Tough, but Explorers are Tougher. I'm your host, Richard Weiss. If you're new to Life's Tough, I'd like to welcome you and tell you a little about myself and the show. First of all, I love the outdoors. I always have, and I always will. And I've also been surrounded by Explorers my entire life. My father, Richard Weiss Sr., was the first man to solo the Pacific Ocean in an airplane. The New York Times called him the Lone Eagle of the Pacific. Some of my fondest memories were standing out on our lawn underneath the stars with my father telling me how explorers use the stars to navigate. I guess we talked about a few other things as well. And speaking of talking, I host a television show called Born to Explore, It's on PBS stations around the country, so please check it out. And finally, I've been president of the world-famous Explorers Club. Just about every great explorer of the 20th and 21st century has been a member, including Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Jane Goodall, Theodore Roosevelt. Some people say it's like Harry Potter's Hogwarts, only for adults. I've heard stories that would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You see, explorers are the type of people who walk in space, go to the bottom of the ocean, and stand on the highest summits. Scratch the surface of any explorer, and you'll find they're all storytellers. This show is about their tales. Uh, Greetings to you wherever you are in the world, and welcome to Life's Tough, Explorers Are Tougher. I'm your host, Richard Weiss. Perhaps the most frequent advice that I received growing up was, just be yourself. Well, imagine taking that advice, and it could be dangerous or even harmful. Joining us today is Sylvia Vasquez-Lovato. She is the first openly gay woman to climb the highest peaks on all seven continents. Welcome to the show, Sylvia. Good to see you again. Hi,
1: Richard. Good seeing you too. This is so great. Very, very nice seeing you in this 2021.
0: So, did you ever get that advice or hear that advice growing up, or at least hear it to other people? You know, just be yourself.
1: I heard it more, after, more in my twenties <laughs> rather than in my teens. Um, I was in, a, I had a very challenging, um, chaotic upbringing. So, but, uh, but definitely, you know, in my twenties already when I was living here in the U.S., that was something, you know, more of a stronger. Stronger advice that was very inspiring.
0: So you were born in Peru, and uh, t- tell me about growing up. Uh, where did you grow up in Peru?
1: So I was born in Lima, Peru, and uh, during the eighties, unfortunately, we were going through one of the worst time periods in our country's history. We had uh, we had transition from a military government into a democratic one, and um, there was a little there was a lot of challenges at the time with the economy. Hyperinflation, and then we had the birth of, or maybe the the high um, time of uh, the terrorist movement. Uh, we had the Shining Path at first, that really started in a small city, kind of more from as a from a kind of started more as a communist um, political movement, but then it became a terrorist movement. And then we also had a second one. Um, that was just as dangerous called the Tupac Amaru movement. And so that, unfortunately, made it really challenging to have a, a safe society. There was constant threats, there were constant bombings, um, and it just took away, you know, the safety that you feel um, growing up in 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 any normal, regular city.
0: So, I mean, to draw a comparison, would it be like growing up in a, in a war zone someplace, or was it that you just had the fear that something bad could happen to you at any point?
1: It was, I mean, you know, it seemed amazing, but I was always impressed how life kept going, Um, you know, and I've been on on Worms or territories as well, visited them, but what really blew me away with a combination of poverty, uh, of a lot of uncertainty, I mean, you would be home, Next thing, the government, the minister of economy will speak and, you know, the money will be devaluated and, you know, people will go nuts and there will be lines to buy multiple things. And, and so, you know, and then with the terrorist aspect, you know, you will, you will have constantly rates to make sure that you were not a terrorist or so you will be, you know, I'll be taking the bus from from high school um, like a public bus, and then, you know, we could get busted. And it was just, I mean, it was, there was a lot of unsafety um, that didn't make it nice to grow up. I mean, it just had you on edge. And I think on the positive side, it just makes you develop your street smarts. And, um, but, uh, but definitely it wasn't a place of a lot of encouragement. I mean, and, and plus at the time, the society was still quite patriarchal. Um, you know, very one-sided. I mean, women were not seen on their full potential. So so it was very unique upbringings that I, in a way, I think have influenced how I look at the world now. I'm lucky that, you know, I have these incredible opportunities. Um, but
0: you, you started a uh, non-for-profit called Courageous Girls, and that yes. uh, helps um, survivors of sexual abuse. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm assuming that in your past at that point, that you had been a victim.
1: Yes, I actually, I mean, and to add to the top of it, of, of my upbringing, you know, unfortunately, just like, you know, one in three women around the world had to experience a very unfortunate period of sexual violence. And, and that that added to all the uncertainty and insecurity, you know, made it incredibly challenging. Um, you know, it just made me quite fearful. and And it took away you know, it took away my innocence, it took away the joy, and it, it made life quite harsh uh, to the degree that, you know, growing up, especially in my teens year, w- was incredibly self-destructive for me, um, and I mean, ultimately, when I told my parents, uh, because unfortunately, it was somebody who, who used to work within the family, um, you know, they're, they ended up working with psychologists and the best advice was for me to leave the country. And so I, I was able to, and, and one of the things that I was good at, I channel, I believe, all my, all my frustration, all my fears um, into studying. So I was quite book smart and I was able to come here with a scholarship. And so I arrived here in the States just when I turned 18 to kind of start a new life.
0: I, I, I would have to imagine knowing what I know growing up in the United States that when you come from that environment of terrorism, maybe sexual abuse, that 18-year-olds must have seemed very frivolous to you or, or very carefree. I mean, you had to have seen that difference.
1: Actually, well, you're going to laugh, but uh, I ended up going to school in the heart of the Amish country in Pennsylvania. What?! <laughs> <laughs> yes. So out of the scholarships, my parents had a choice of universities and my mom was in charge. And I think she fell in love with the photo of the Amish on the first, uh, on the cover of the school application. So yeah, <laughs> so that was my first that was my first exposure to the US. I mean, I imagine what you said. I had a I mean we were having the Cosby show, we were having 90210 and you had this idea of America being, you know, this frivolous, exciting at times, you know, the difference. But but definitely not when I went to school.
0: <laughs> I you know I did not know this or expect this, Sylvia. I, I knew you came to the United States, but and yes. and and I'm not making fun of the Amish people because not they have yeah, not... a very lovely group. But I, I I somehow don't see them being what you typically think of. Uh, a, a, uh, no, I'm not going to say normal community, uh, a typical American community. So. Yeah. Um, were they aware of, of some of the obstacles that you had been through?
1: You know, and at the time, not really. I thought that was to me. And, and you know, this is the beauty of, of looking at life, you know, in, in, you know, when things get thrown to you, you can complain or you can be mad or you can just adapt. And I was incredibly grateful for the opportunity of being out of my country and. And it was an, an, a period of adapting, you know, I mean, it's still, you know, we were close to a smaller city. This is in the heart of uh, Lancaster County, which I'm not sure if you've Beautiful ever area.
0: Yeah, I've been there. It's a beautiful,
1: beautiful. area. Um, and it just exposed me to to a particular way of thinking. And and this is the way that I look at at stuff, even, and this is what has been beautifully translate, you know, to my exploring uh, or my exploration is that. Even though I come from a mentality, you know, in Peru, we we was honed down that we were conquered. You know, the Spaniards came and conquered us. Um, Coming to different places, I never go with that mentality. And instead of trying to impose my beliefs, I am more about respecting, you know, where I am, understanding the culture. And, And that is something that I have also translated into climbing into my expeditions. I never say I've conquered anything. I love you know, when it's almost like I just can't correct almost anyone, but I just that's an attitude that I have personally myself. Um, But, yeah, I think to me it was just unique to adapt, to learn and to, you know, I mean, I I joke that my experience living with the Amish country made it very variable when then I was sent to live abroad for about four years in Switzerland for work. And I was another in a small town called another small city in Bern. And I ended up living in a small village. So it all it all helped me eventually. My
0: life. It's funny because um having met you in person a couple times, mm-hmm. I recall the first time I met you, it was in San Francisco. It was at an explorers club event, and um I was speaking there as president of the Explorers Club. Yes. And um and you came up to me and you introduced yourself and you told me that you were the first openly gay woman to climb mm-hmm. all seven summits. At the time, I thought this is a really random piece of information but somehow i knew that this piece of information would come into play at some point in the future and i'll get into that in in, in a second but the vibe i actually got from you is despite you coming from a tough environment it was very open and friendly you ca- you, you came across and, and and this is the god's honest truth i i thought wow what a great smile and what a warm open uh person this is that was my impression so how is it that you come from such a tough environment that somehow you radiate this kind of warmth? There's got to be someplace along the line that you made choices or there was a transformation.
1: I think it's been a transformation, and I want to be uh, frank. I mean, I um, I think even when we, we met, I was maybe about eight, nine months in my sobriety. Uh, and so, and I've had, I mean... I can say ever since Everest, my life has started to do a massive transformation. And, um, and I believe I've, I've been incredibly fortunate to have this beautiful journey of, of more doing a self-exploration and, and really, you know, touching into, um, you know, I mean, dealing with, with a lot of the different challenges that I've had. And, and I feel it has given me a different sense for life. And, and it just makes me feel incredibly, you know, grateful. And there's been a, a lot of different personal um, events that, that have happened um, that, you know, it's allowed me to look at, at you know, at the at the glass, you know, instead of half full or half empty. I mean, it's, it's a personal attitude. And, and that is something that I love sharing with others. I mean, I think we definitely need more of that message. Um, but, you know, it's so funny that you said about the smile because I just came across a photo of me in my teens. And, and, you know, I think for my family will know, I hated smiling. I had the, I mean, I was so self-conscious. You have a
0: great smile.
1: And and, well, and it's one of the reasons that most of my photos I'm always smiling and I'm like, Oh, that's right. And this photo just reminded me because it was such a tormenting time that it was so painful to smile. So it's one of those things that, and now, especially, um, you know, just being on where I am personally, I mean, what else could I do? You know, we, we just have to embrace it. Well, you
0: actually have a real reason to smile really big. And this has been in the news. Um, <laughs> you wrote a book called In the Shadow of the Mountain. And it is yeah. now being made into a movie where Selena Gomez is to play you in the movie. So congratulations yeah. on that.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I have a big smile as well as you're saying. That is again.
0: cool. I mean, how many people who aren't close to death? Um, you know, like in Hidden Figures, those poor women were 100 years old before they had a movie made out of them. You know, you're a relatively young woman and you have a star playing you. I, you
1: know what is so funny? But the producer of Hidden Figures is my producer, Donna Gigliotti, who is an amazing woman. So it's kind of funny that you said that that comparison. Um, you know what? I am honor. I mean, completely something I had never dreamt in my life. Um, and yet I am you know, I am excited to be able to bring a powerful, inspiring message. Um, It's going to be its own journey. Uh, This is definitely out of all my crazy dreams. I mean, we all, I think it's always been said at times when, when you hear people giving you advice, life advice, imagine your life in a movie or like live like the movie of your life. And now I am living that. But Sylvia,
0: take yourself back to the 14 year old Sylvia who wouldn't smile Mm-hmm. There would be no reason that in any recess of your brain that you would actually think you were going to have a movie made about your life, right? You know, yes. this life is stranger than fiction. So what what is in the shadow of the mountain? I'm sure that's a metaphor for something.
1: Yes. And, and I think it's just the beauty of oh, the very first time when I went to the base of Everest, which was a completely unexpected trip. I mean, I was never a climber. I mean, as, as we talked, I mean, I never grew up with a very even even unfortunately the dynamic in my family was complicated. But there was never this aspect that, you know, you should be able to be your best self or any of that. And um, and I ended up, you know, venturing to the base of, of Everest, you know, as a result of, of a powerful meditation vision Um, when I had had enough in terms of, you know, my drinking and and my challenges in my late twenties. And, uh, and I remember going, you know, just in a very bare bones, not knowing what to expect. I only had about a week to make it back and forth to base camp. It takes takes about 12 to 13 days usually. Um, and it was the second time I remember the first day I was with, with a porter, we hiked from. Lukla to Namche, in just a one go. And I was, I mean, there, there was something about like, ah, oh, let me see as far as I can get before I'm going to get altitude. That's about
0: miles. like 12 or 13 in Namchi uh, Bazaar, right?
1: Namchi Bazaar is about like 13,000 feet. Almost, and that's 14, a far 000.
0: walk from Lukla.
1: It's a far walk. And I i, I just actually was even walking in in the sense of feeling like, okay, well, let me just walk as fast. I felt I wasn't going to make it. I was going to hit with altitude. Let me just get as far as I can before we have to turn back. And, and so this, I mean, and I remember climbing the Namche, and that very first part of the track, you know, is very luscious, beautiful. Rhododendrons. Yeah, the rhododendron te- trees. I mean, you just don't see, you don't have that exposure. But on my second day, we remember leaving on the morning, I we get out of Namche and we just take the turn, and all of a sudden, a beautiful sunny day, the Himalayas just hits you. And I will never, ever forget that experience. I mean, just that sensation. I was this tiny, tiny, tiny person and just walking among this grandiosity. And there was just this connection that I remember feeling for the first time in my life that I was like, as if as a connection with the mountains, as if the mountains were being like, oh, yeah, you know, welcome. And we are here to protect you. And, and it's almost, you know, the, the lyrical aspect of the book is like, as almost as if the shadow of the mountain, just, you know, my problems were just so small compared to the shadow of the mountain. And and that was something that that really stuck to me in terms of just, you know, the beauty of what nature can bring. Um, and it was, I mean, and I remember I was just, I, I had this search of energy just, just being, surrounded by the majestic of the Himalayas. We have that, the Buddhist
0: monasteries there. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I made it to the base of Everest in four days. I was like, That's incredible,
0: because like, that's at over 17,000 feet. And for yeah. us mere humans, yeah. mortals, I, I couldn't do it.
1: I was inspired. I mean, that was enough fuel for me to just, boom, that is what really awoke in my heart, that there was something magical, you know, within these mountains. And, and that is what the journey has, has brought me here.
0: So when you get to the base camp of Everest, it's an interesting place because there's a lot of activity, a lot of testosterone going on there, and that you see people coming off the mountain, setting up higher camps. And uh, there's a big difference between being on uh, the back of the stage, which I'll call base camp, and actually going over the Khumbu Ice Falls and up the mountain. So when you see people coming over looking pretty weathered or haggard, Does that make you nervous? Think you want to do that? I mean, at first when I did it, it
1: was in the fall season. Uh, It was in October. So there was nothing of that. I mean, base camp was empty. But I'll tell you personally, when I went into my own expedition, (laughs) when I arrived to the base of Everest, I left my bags on my tent. I was the first time I was getting this massive view and really understanding, oh, my God, I'm going to be here for the next six weeks. And I remember looking at the Kumbu and trying to see in the back little bit of Everest, and I freaked out. I almost fainted. I was just, I felt like there is no way I could well, do Well, it's this. so
0: massive. I mean, you look at, I've been there. It's, it's massive. Yeah, so then it's in um, 2006, you climb Kilimanjaro, and it seems like that is the gateway mountain for most seven summiters. They they get a taste of altitude on Kilimanjaro, and then they think, well, I could do one or Elbrus. I could yeah, do Elbrus, yeah. So of those seven summits, and I'll take Everest out of it for a second, uh, which one did you enjoy the most? Which one did you think you liked the least?
1: You know, it's almost like children. Sometimes it's hard to pick on each of them. I've, I've had my very unique experience. Um, I I mean, I'll tell you Denali had t- t- took me three times. So, you know, I mean, I, and I was very lucky that all the rest of the mountains, I did it on my first try, um, I mean, I, I think Nali was possibly um, a very unique experience and, and the way that it is structured as well. You know, you don't have a lot of support. I mean, you have to carry everything on your own. Um, but that was a very unique and, and some of the most beautiful, I mean, sightseeing in terms of once you get high up there, was just powerful. I really enjoyed that Uh, Carson's Pyramid in the island of Papua in Indonesia was just magical. I got lost on my way out. We were walking back uh, within the jungle and I was with one of the assistant guides. And somehow we kind of were the last ones. And next thing we take the wrong turn and we are lost in the heart of the jungle. And that was really wasn't cool at the time. It was pretty scary. but ultimately, we managed to, to get found. And, uh, and I can say now that was pretty cool.
0: So during all these climbs, uh, again, you have made no bones about it. You're an openly uh, gay woman. Yes. Were you openly gay on those climbs? or Because each one of those places has cultural challenges mm-hmm. and also mountaineering. Let's face it. It's a pretty high testosterone yes. uh, sport. So yeah. what were the challenges there? Did you feel comfortable with that? Was it a little bit of a challenge?
1: Yeah. And actually, you know what? I've always been very private about my life, um, you know, and especially in 2006, I was already living in Europe. Um, I, I mean, what I do, uh, you know, having lived with so much fear, um, you are, tend to assess the situation and, and you tend to develop certain bearings. So, so one of the things, and, and you know, when, especially in some of these places, just as a woman, you know, you're, it's, it's it's a danger itself. So, you know, and on top of this, being a gay woman. So it's almost like, you know, I become very protective and I assess and I figure, okay, when does it feel safe to really, you know, being open and, and you know, sharing on your identity? Um, I have to tell you, I mean, in, in Denali in 2012, I was on this expedition and I met, uh, you know, this amazing young man, and Crane, and he was openly, you know, I mean, he was making a point of climbing the mountain as as an openly gay man. He had like the biggest pink socks and carried this massive rainbow. And he always put
0: the rainbow flag on his tent. And
1: oh yeah, he was. I mean, he sometimes like carried it as a cape, and I think that was quite an inspiration. I mean, he he allowed me to feel that. Okay, you know, it's it's. I need to be more embracing of my identity in the mountains. I mean, at, in the first couple of mountains prior to that, I was like, okay, on edge on it. But but after seeing Cason, it just made me feel like, you know what, let's let's push it. And, and of course, within the safety ranges.
0: You know, I, I could see that happening in Alaska, maybe. You know, you get some comments, and, and, and I'm sure just for, even from my perspective as an openly heterosexual male, I'm mm-hmm. sure I, I would have made jokes to my um climbing partners about it. yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in other regions of the world, you know, especially you go to North Africa, the Middle East, I'm not so sure I'd be running around with a cape, you know, yeah. so I think that's, um, I think it's all changing for the good, but there's still a lot of obstacles in that respect.
1: Yes, and I think the more that we can voice, the more that we can show, the more representation that we can bring out, I mean, the more that this actually can can improve. And that's a part of the responsibility of actually for me to to mention that and the importance of of, of sharing it. I mean, there's still, I mean, definitely within Africa. I mean, I've been I've I've, I've been in, in the Middle East as well. And and you know, it's just how we can. You know, bring a little bit of change to the environments and understanding for people, and even in all Latin America, I mean, it's still, you know, it's pretty sexist. So
0: it's it's a difficult challenge because um, what I may have as values as an American, I'm going to speak now as an American. I go to um, some countries and I see women not being treated so well. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for me to impose my Western culture on them and. And sometimes it it really might have more of a negative effect upon whoever's situation is going on there. So I've always struggled, how do you become the change without Mm -hmm. um, sort of being imperialistic on your ideas? Because if you go back to Australia in the 70s, they were taking Aboriginal kids away from their families to make them Mm -hmm. more Western. The Inuits were taken off of the... um, their nomadic life and put into s- smaller villages. So even with the best intentions in mind, it doesn't always work so well.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's complicated. I mean, how to change, you can rewrite history. Um, and even in this country right now, we, we are found ourselves in, in a very unique intersection um, but I believe you know in many places it's more about understanding and, and figuring out okay which organizations who are the people uh, or what what particular I mean what I mean what a small... Um, who are like the local social change makers who are maybe doing the work. And, and for example, I mean, to, to your point, I remember visiting the Congo, which was, I mean, the DRC especially, which was, you know, it's been quite war-torn and, and that was been in the middle of a civil war. Um, and, and, you know, there was this massive, I mean, issue with, you know, femicides and, and the way that they were treating women Um, And I remember connecting with a local organization. There was a local man who actually was working with uh, rehabilitating former child soldiers and and young women who had been, you know, locals who had been on the streets. And he was kind of trying to to help them through his own way of bringing them into dancing, into music. And that was very powerful because it showed me that sometimes it's not just even, you know, the imperialistic or the big organizations that bring the change It's more at the local level that actually their organizations, there are situations almost everywhere that those are the ones that are worth connecting and to be able to understand, okay, how can we, you know, help solve some of these challenges.
0: So you have this film that I I don't know what the release date is or, or even Mm -hmm. if they started shooting it yet, but you realize once a film comes out like that, the privacy of your life is, is probably Mm -hmm. over. Have you thought about, you know, going forward, the, I always say the next act of your life, how you're going to take that sort of power of the media and and harness it into something that makes not only you re- reach your full potential, but others around you. Mm-hmm. Have you given some thought to that?
1: You know, it's so funny. I mean, I'm still working on the book. I mean, I mean, the book hasn't even been published yet. The book is getting published next winter, uh, 2020, 2022. Um, and uh, I mean, if anything, my dream with the overall book, with the film is the opportunity just to, you know, first of all, bring light to, to the shame that, um, you know, what, what many women i mean unfortunately too many women have to put up with and and how we try to get silence and and just what it does but you know i am here to be a vehicle a platform to just allow people to find their voice um and that is you know what my commitment is for for the next you know several decades and as long as i can be here that and and definitely combining my sets for exploration but but definitely using my platform as a way to i mean i see myself I mean, I have been on the other side, you know, I I remember, you know, when I was even trying to struggle with my own addiction and with my own issues, I mean, trying to attend conferences, trying to look out for mentors or or just for the messaging. And, And so having been on that side, you know, what a beautiful privilege and opportunity to now have this opportunity to talk to that version of me who was hurting, who was scared, who was ashamed. And and being able to reach to that, and so that is one of one of the opportunities that I'm very grateful to have.
0: I, I find it um, very refreshing that you look at what was a very dark side of your life, or things that you wouldn't wish upon any, anybody. But you've used that as a vehicle to grow and to be powerful and to who you are. And and I I think there's something to be learned by that. Mm. What is the advice that you now would give? to that girl in that photo, you, at age 14 or 15, who wasn't smiling, what would you say now? And maybe this is advice you give to other people who've been in that situation. I can't give that advice. I've never had something like that happen to me. So it, it just wouldn't be the same.
1: I would tell her, you know, I mean, and, and I don't know how this is going to come across, but I would tell her, you know, first of all, you're not broken. You know, you're intact. Your life is fully still you know can, can you can just absolutely do anything and it is mostly like you are not alone that would be number 1 because that was possibly my biggest cloud feeling that that aspect that i was alone that i'm the only one and just telling her like you're not alone like we are here there is a lot of us who are here to help you protect you i think that would be my, my primary aspect you know to tie because that's unfortunately what what creates you know the challenge is the stigma, the fact that you feel you're the only one, that nobody else has done it, and and it's just feeling that no, there. If anything, you know, we are an army here of so many of us ready to help you and support you, and and if anything, it's just you know just trust you, you're you're whole and and kind of that would be one of the, the messages that I think I we tell her.
0: I know your nonprofit is called Courageous Girls, but I, I sort of see you as a courageous girl. Uh, yourself. And uh, I've said this to you before, but I'm so happy that you did introduce yourself to me uh, two years ago. Uh, I don't know if that was a courageous act or not, but I I feel that my life is richer for having met you.
1: Oh, Richard, you're so kind. And I'm trying to remember that was 2009. That was 2019 when you were here and I had just attended my first gala at The Explorers Club in New York, and I was. It was possibly one of those experiences. I think
0: it was the other way around. I think we met first, and I met you with. Uh, I think it was the fifty. Uh, I'm sorry, the fiftieth um, anniversary of the Apollo astronauts, and you were there at in New York. And I remember seeing yeah. you again, and uh, you know, speaking briefly. But that was a pretty awe-inspiring night. But you know what? You are one of those people that is part of that wonderful tapestry. So
1: well, you're too kind. I I was really that was something. That made me feel first of all that I have found my tribe. Uh, I used to joke that you know we're all missing the same screw in the head. And it was just, it was just so refreshing and quite inspiring and and I have been, you know, it's been such an honor being being part of this organization and I'm so looking forward um you know to con- continue contributing more. I mean, I'm I'm still one of the early I mean hasn't been too many years that I've been a member, but but you know, we have such a beautiful legacy to keep giving. And and this, I mean, exploration, meaning nature was what really helped me overcome so much adversity that I mean, why not being able to to bring this message worldwide?
0: So I'm happy to say that we're both uh, members of the screw-in-the-head-loose tribe. <laughs> but, Sylvia, <laughs> thank you so much for being on Life's Tough Explorers are Tougher. Uh, I, I really enjoy speaking with you.
1: Richard, thank you so much for your time and for the invitation. Dan, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye.
0: Every great expedition has to come to an end. But that doesn't mean we can't stay in touch. Send us your favorite expedition pictures and tell us about your most memorable journeys, large or small. All right. Get something to write with. Here are my coordinates. www.lifestuff.com explorers. One more time, www.lifestuff.com explorers. That's it for today. Hope to see you out on the trail.